We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Here is the 2018 Phoenix Suns offseason recap. The Suns ended the 2017-2018 season with the worst record in the NBA, and the first thing that began was the coaching search. Reports that Mike Budenholzer had received permission to interview from the Phoenix job began. Uh, Mike Budenholzer eventually withdrew from consideration after speaking with the team. The Suns then interviewed every available coach, including Igor Kokoshkov, David Fisdale, Steve Clifford, Frank Vogel, and interim coach Jay Triano. The Suns then lost a coin flip against the Milwaukee Bucks, reducing their total number of draft picks by one first-round pick. On May 2nd, the Suns announced the hire of Igor Kokoshkov as head coach, the first European born and raised head coach in the National Basketball Association. Good news came next. The second pick will be made by the Sacramento Kings. And that means that the number one pick in the 2018 NBA Draft goes to the Phoenix Suns. Thus began the Aiton versus Donchers Civil War of 2018. Suns worked out Aiton, Bamba, Bagley, and more, but Donchers works out for no one. Rumors of the Suns trading the number one pick begin, potentially targeting Carl Anthony Towns. Devin Booker approved of that, saying that it was likely possible. DeAndre Ayton then revealed in the draft process that he has multiple personalities, those personalities we have not seen since that interview. Marvin Bagley then said that he would feel disrespected if he was not picked first. Charles Barkley said, if you don't take DeAndre Ayton, you're an idiot. He's scary. And then the draft. With the first pick in the 2018 NBA Draft, the Phoenix Suns select DeAndre Ayton from Nassau, Bahamas, and the University of Arizona. 
DeAndre Ayton was the pick and the Suns finally have a center. After a few missteps by the godfather Gambadoro, the Suns then make a trade with Philadelphia, trading our 16th pick, which was Zaire Smith, and of course the most valuable asset in the league, the Miami pick, for Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges, who is from Philadelphia, was picked by the 76ers and very excited to play somewhere his mom worked. Sorry, Mikhail, you're now on the Suns. The Suns also selected Elia Kobo from France with the 31st pick and George King with the 59th pick. Joel Embiid, triggered by another center getting some attention, tweeted that he refuses to be compared to Aiden because he plays defense. Dave King then accidentally called Aiden Joel in Aiden's introductory press conference. Tyler Eulis is then waived and Devin Booker seemed upset. Did the Suns tell Devin first? Who knows? We never found out. Free agency begins and the Suns have a bunch of cap space. What will they do with it? Well, use it all on Trevor Ariza, of course. A one-year deal, preserving cap space for future years and a potential max spot in 2019-2020, but then... Woj is reporting that the Suns and Devin Booker are on the verge of finalizing a five-year, $158 million maximum contract extension, which could get done as soon as this weekend. We've touched on a little bit briefly this morning. Now, this is the combination... Devin Booker, our lord and savior, will be here for at least five more years. Summer League then begins, and the Suns look crisp. The ball's moving, the screens, shots, with semblance of defense. Suns fans get their first look at all four rookies and Igor's system. Elliot Kobo, Mikhail Bridges, and Aiton look good against the Mavs, leading to a win. Aiton versus Bagley, one versus two in game two, and Aiton dominated. Suns win again. Aiton versus Bamba in game three, and the Suns win again. Can they be stopped? Yes. Yes, they can. The Suns lose the Mikhail Bridges revenge game against the 76ers. The Suns eventually finish 4-1 in Summer League after blowing out the Spurs in their final game. Summer League is now over, and the Suns are in the Kawhi Leonard rumors. Instead of trading for Kawhi, the Suns trade Jared Dudley and a protected second for Darrell Arthur. Woj immediately states Arthur is expected to be waived. That trade did make room for an immediate second trade of cash for Rashawn Holmes from the 76ers, and the Suns have another backup center. The Suns then guaranteed Davon Reed and Shaq Harrison's contracts for 1819. The Suns' schedule is then released, revealing only two national TV games. Immediately after that, DeAndre Ayton drew a very realistic basketball card with him dunking on Embiid. Luka Doncic then said that Aiton will win Rookie of the Year. The NBA Rookie Survey was released and Aiton was top pick for Rookie of the Year. Aiton and Bridges also received votes for Best Career and Bridges for Best Defender. Oh yeah, Manager Nobly retired. Then some bombs dropped. Guess what? On August 31st, a Friday, we have a trade to discuss. Thank you, Adrian Wojnarski, for reporting. <laughs> But the Rockets made a deal with the Phoenix Suns last night, trading Ryan Anderson and the rights to rookie DeAnthony Melton for Marquise Chris and Brandon Knight. Guys, the Rockets were one game away from reaching the NBA Finals. Goodbye, Marquise Chris. Goodbye, Brandon Knight. Hello, Ryan Anderson. Hello, DeAnthony Melton. Still no starting point guard, though. And speaking of starting point guard, 
Welcoming Steve to the Hall of Fame is Don Nelson. Ladies and gentlemen, Steve Nash. I was uh, I was never ever supposed to be here. That's that's uh, for sure. It's incredible. Congratulations, Steve. The Suns were now linked to some point guards: Spencer Dinwiddie, Corey Joseph, Patrick Beverly. None of them are here, though. Aiton looked good. The rookies played great in summer league. The Suns appeared to have a coach, but then a unicycle disaster struck. The Suns announcing last night: Devin Booker has undergone surgery to repair an injury to his right hand. Yes, shooting hands. Uh, recovery time is about six weeks per the Suns, and that means he could miss training camp and even some regular season games. Now check out Booker's IG post. Six weeks. Six weeks. J.J. Redick revealed on the low post that the Suns were interested in acquiring him in the offseason, even offering him a contract that he was close to accepting. We're now up to the Jimmy Butler saga. And the Suns still don't have a point guard, but guess what? We're rumored to be involved in those talks to try and acquire one as well. The Suns then signed new guard DeAnthony Melton to a two-year guaranteed deal. Joel Embiid then said some nice things about Aiton, but it's too late, Joel. We already hate you. Media day is here, and everyone talks about how great Aiton is. Preseason then begins. Aiton looks great, Bender looks bad, and the Suns still don't have a starting point guard. The fans are starting to accept that fact, but then... The Suns have fired their general manager, Ryan McDonough, just a little over a week before the start of the season. Nick, how do you feel about the timing of this? Woof. What are they doing, guys? Come on now, week before it all starts. Robert Sarver throws a wrench in our optimism. The Suns now have no point guard, no general manager. James Jones is in charge, and that brings us to the Timeline's 2018-19 season preview. James Naismith once said, basketball is dope and I do dope things. (laughs) Welcome to the Timeline, a Phoenix Suns podcast, Phoenix Suns season preview special. Sam Cooper, how are you doing? I'm preparing myself for Jamal Crawford right now, Mike. That's how I'm doing. (laughs) So I'm in a pretty negative mind frame uh, as I've been thinking about that for the past 24 hours. (laughs) He might be our GM. He might be our GM. And joining us the managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun, the big cheese for the greatest Phoenix Suns blog there is, <laughs> Dave King. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty well. I'm doing pretty well. I'm actually kind of excited for this season, but I always think that the day before you know, the season starts. <laughs> <laughs> That's the trap, it's isn't been, it? <laughs> yeah. It's been a very interesting off season, as you guys just heard. We did a little bump at the front of this episode with a whole breakdown of what happened this offseason and it was a lot there's a lot of things that happened I was actually going through the archives of Bright Side of the Sun this morning just kind of looking at all the stuff you've written and and everyone on the site has written about this offseason and man 
This season never stopped. It's like last season ended and there was something new every week, something insane happening. I mean, of course, the it's number like, one pick was the biggest story. It's, yeah, if you, if, it's like if you take all the things that happened and threw them on the floor like uh, pickup sticks, that's how, <laughs> that's how you could just lay out the documentary because the first thing that should have happened was the last thing that happened. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's an interesting point but let's let's start with <laughs> the most the most recent thing we've uh we've gotten to we're gonna go over some superlatives some ideas uh, for content that we had here coming up but before we get to that there's some things we got to talk about it's jamal crawford make him gm how do we feel yeah <laughs> jamal crawford was spotted tmz style going up an escalator at talking stick resort arena in a fantastic tweet um dave Let's start with you. How do you feel about Jamal Crawford? Let's start with just as a, the idea of him being on the team as a player. Uh, <laughs> how would you feel about that? I actually, uh, when, I, when I first saw him, uh, the, the video of him going up the escalator, I actually, my first thought was, you know, he's about James's age. Maybe James is actually going to fill out his front office with Jamal Crawford. <laughs> that's that's a, that's a thing I thought too because – there's a bunch of openings. <laughs> There's a ton of openings. They didn't yeah. just fire McDonough. It's not a joke that they fired 80% of their front office in one morning. It's, yeah, and it's not a joke. It's funny to think, well, he's got no experience as general manager, but does that even matter? <laughs> that doesn't well, seem to be a qualifier here. Um, a comparison I heard uh, when um, – Sorry to pimp my own stuff, but on the solar panel, we got a chance to talk to Amin Al-Hassan uh, for our episode, and I'm so not sure when he's just getting released, but um, Amin really made a nice uh, analogy to Sean Marks in Brooklyn. Uh, you don't have to have a long uh, history of being a GM to be effective as a GM. You just have to have the right mindset. You have to be a player's, you know, a guy who knows what's going on, knows how to talk to players, knows about how to build a team. And Sean Marks has done a very good job in Brooklyn, even though he had very little experience. I think he had maybe one year, maybe two years in the Spurs front office. Um, but he's a good guy. And uh, and Amin was saying that's kind of uh, – there's a possibility that James could end up being that kind of successful. And, I, I, and everybody would say that Sean Marks had nothing in his pockets when he got – put into that job in Brooklyn. He had no draft picks. He had no money for free agency. And he somehow is putting together a team that other executives think is about as good as you could have done in that situation, even though they're still not very good. No, I mean, Dave, you've, you've talked to James and we haven't. So, I mean, from your experience, what do you think his GMing philosophy is? Does he seem like that kind of guy to you who can actually do that without? Because to most of us, I think the lack of experience is the scariest part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, James, obviously, he doesn't have all the experience. He he does have a 15-year, 14-year NBA career. Um, he was on seven straight NBA Finals teams. He did have a relationship with the front office in Cleveland uh, the last few years with David Griffin and guys like that. Um, as far as, And he's the treasurer of the MBPA. So he, he knows like the larger picture better than a, a regular just retiree from the, from the league. Um, but having said that, we don't know if he really knows how to actually build a team that can fit together, but that is his primary philosophy. When he, uh, we got a special interview and an exclusive interview with him last year on Brightside night, which is our annual fundraiser. Um, he, uh, we get a, we get an interview with a front office guy 
before the game for everybody who donated and and came to the game. James talked about team building back then. He was like, look, you've got to you got to put the guys around your stars. First, you have to have the stars. Then you put the guys around your stars who can complement them. And that's how you win games. You've got to put on your team guys who can win. This summer, they signed Trevor Ariza. That is the exact profile of what James Jones was talking about. Trevor's mm-hmm. not a star, but he's a guy who can help your stars look good. Mm-hmm. So is we'll Jamal see. Crawford a guy that can help your stars look good? That's the question right now. Well, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't think so, obviously. I mean, no, the, I don't think Jamal Crawford has made a career of making other people look good. I think he's right. made a career of being able to score. He can pass, but he's not a passer. Uh, he's kind of like the uh, the actualized version of Brandon Knight. There it is. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I've always thought of it. Um, or TJ Warren. The best, well, but the best Brandon Knight could have been would be a six man off the bench who gets five assists anyway because uh, he's got the ball in his hand and he's either shooting or scoring when he's when he's leading your second unit. I think that's what Jamal Crawford has been his, most of his career and has been okay at it. Now he hasn't led to um, been the reason people win, but he's not the reason you lose either. Um, as long as he's your eighth, tenth, eleventh guy. Um, so if he wants to join the Suns and take Trevor, or excuse me, if he wants to join the Suns and take Troy Daniels minutes, take Troy's role, which is about 10 minutes um, every other game when your young guys are not playing well or injured or whatever, that's perfect um, at this stage of Jamal Crawford's career. He's 38 years old. Um, if, if Crawford or the Suns expect him to have a bigger role, then I think that's a big waste of time. To your point, TJ Warren only had five assists once last season. <laughs> he had four assists four times and three assists four times. The rest of the games were zero, one, and two assists. Four. Not much of a passer, <laughs> TJ Warren. Uh, I guess I've been sort of defending this in under the assumption that if we signed Jamal Crawford, he just wouldn't play that much. I just don't see I mean he's right. he's an older guy I think he's 38 right now. He he's sort of aware that he's at the end of his career in that the only team he's meeting with is happening 5 days before the season starts. I think that it's pretty obvious that his career is coming to an end here. And my I assumption think, uh, is sorry, just real quick. I think I saw that he was uh in in Orlando right before, but he's he is seeing other teams. He's showing up at other teams as well. Not just the Suns. The Suns aren't the only team he's, he's, he's talking to. Okay, that's interesting. So I guess the, the question is, if, if he was signed, I, there could be a front office role. There could be maybe even a player development role. I, I don't know if that's possible. Or if he's signed on the, on the team. It, it, it's all a very interesting look for the team. Uh, I don't think he's good enough to play a lot. But I don't think it hurts to have veterans on the team at this point. I, 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 I don't know. There's no accountability. There's no accountability. Dragon Bender played a lot of minutes last season. It, right. It's nice to have veterans in certain roles so that if the guys just aren't listening, the young guys, it, it'd be nice to put something somebody in there that's a veteran that can actually take some of their time to, to help teach them. But to your point, maybe Jamal's not that guy. If I'm Igor, um, I would like at least two or three guys sitting on my bench who I know what I'm going to get each night from them. You know, very predictable. Right. As as I mean, I'm not – it's not a huge compliment to say that Jamal Crawford is a little bit of a step up from Troy Daniels. It's just uh, he right. is predictable, and he brings a little bit. He brings one more skill to the table than Daniels did. Daniels brings shooting, and that's it. When he's not in a shooting motion, Daniels doesn't really bring anything to the team. Um, when uh, 
Uh, Crawford's got the ball. He can dribble and he can pass. So, I mean, that's like mm-hmm. you know, two and a half skills plus the shooting. So it's a little bit better. That's all. It's incrementally better. And Igor would know exactly what he's going to get in the five minutes he puts Crawford on the floor. Whereas with the other young guys, you have no clue what you're going to get most of the time. From a veteran standpoint, though, I think my whole problem with this is I just don't see what Jamal really teaches the young guys. I, I watch him playing. No, he's just no, he wouldn't be a teacher. He's bad habits personified. He's exactly yeah. what you said, Dave, earlier about Brandon Knight. He's his play style is everything I've hated about Suns basketball for the past three years. So I would almost <laughs> rather watch Davon Reed struggle through his minutes in a second season, and then we at least get to see what he is by giving him that playing time as opposed to seeing that sort of playing time taken away by a guy like Jamal. We have to diverge there. I think Davon Reed probably has a better Same. chance of making the Warriors uh, rotation and looking good there than he does in the Suns rotation. Right. That's exactly how I feel. It's a different. It's just a different scenario in Phoenix. I feel like you can't just put young guys out there consistently year after year after year after year. It becomes the blind leading the blind. You eventually have to have some sort of uh, veteran leadership to help show them. And and you bring up a good point, Sam. Uh, Jamal likes to dribble and he likes to shoot. That's that's kind of what he likes to do. He's won the Sixth Man of the Year award. That's that's what Sixth Man of the Year awards go to. Players like that, for whatever reason, it's not really ever rewarded the guys who like to pass coming off the bench. But, yeah, who knows? He might not even end up on the team, so maybe we spent a little too much time talking about him already. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. This the is Sol- a season preview. We talked about him a lot too, and we, we came to yeah. the same conclusion. We probably spent too much time on it. <laughs> it's Jamal Crawford. This is he's how a, he's desperate a guy we are for a point guard that we I spent know. ten minutes talking about somebody who showed up at the arena. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. Is I don't think that this is a win now Sarver move. The way that a lot of people, the fear that a lot of people have in firing Ryan McDonough is, oh no. This is it. Sarver's going to start making some dumb win now moves. I don't see Jamal as that. I don't. I, I think that if he's on the team, I just don't think Igor is going to play him a lot. Well, that's plus just James I, Jones on Friday said it's not about wins and losses. Right. So I feel like it's more of a move to he, you know he won the team of the, teammate of the year award. He's known as a good teammate. I feel like James Jones knows the kind of guy that Jamal Crawford is, and he wants to bring a guy like that in to help develop the young guys in the long run. But maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he's our starting point guard on day one. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily call Jamal Crawford part of the player development effort. I would call him the stopgap when player development is going to make you pull your hair out. Right, and I think that's part. I think that's part of the development in in a sense. Account it's accountability. I guess is what I mm-hmm. what I think it is. When you have a guy that's not listening, like for example, if Josh Jackson goes five for nineteen again, right, and we have no one to replace him with that can help handle the ball a little bit. He's going to go five for 25 because we can't take him out. No if one's we done. have, exactly. If we have Jamal Crawford, we can say, okay, Josh Jackson, that's enough. We're going to pull you when you're five for 13 instead of uh, five for 25. And we're going to put Jamal Crawford in there. And yeah, maybe Jamal Crawford is going to shoot 40% and, and, and maybe not be that efficient, but at least Josh Jackson understands that there's consequences for those actions. I guess that's, that's the point that I'd like to make. But let's move on. Let's get to the superlatives. This is. A season preview after all. So we came up with seven different topics that we want to throw at uh, Dave, and and we all came up with some answers. I imagine we're going to have some overlapping answers here, so it could be an interesting discussion. Maybe we'll disagree on some of these, but let's start from the top. Most likely to succeed in the 2018-2019 season. I think this answer is pretty obvious for me, but Dave, what do you think? Who do you think of the Suns is most likely to succeed? 
you're going to give me the first crack at this. That's great. Because <laughs> uh, there, there's uh, it's a short list, man. Um, I know. <laughs> I think most likely to succeed is Devin Booker in this offense. It's got to be. What I've seen in the offense, see, the worst thing you can do is bring in a coach who doesn't uh, uh, run a scheme that plays to the strengths of your of your best players. And that's happened before on all over the world, not just not just in Phoenix. Um, what I really like about Igor's offense and the way they're trying to run it and the way Josh Jackson is trying to do things, um, Devin Booker's going to really excel. And people have asked me, oh, sure, DeAndre Aiden is getting uh, 20 and 11 or whatever it is in the preseason, and that can't possibly last. As soon as Devin Booker goes on the floor, Aiden disappears. I don't think that's the case at all. I think what happens is when Devin Booker gets on the floor is you're going to get an extra 10 points a game just because Devin Booker's there right. um, creating or scoring or whatever. And I don't think it has ze- – I think it has zero impact on Aiden's uh, impact on the game and, and his productivity in the game. In fact, it may get better. Booker is really good at lob passes. He's really good at drawing defenses on the pick and roll when the when all the passing breaks down and it comes down to Booker. Igor said at the uh, media day on the side when we had a, a side conversation, he said, look, yes, it's all about passing. It's all about getting the ball out of people's hands within two seconds. But at the end of the day, Devin Booker should be the last one with the ball in his hand, either doing the, the scoring pass or the score itself. And – you know, let's be honest, he said. Let's be honest. It's got to end up with Devin Booker. So, and as long as Devin is feeding Aiden on after he draws the defense or he sees the defense sucking down to Aiden and takes the shot, I think the Suns can only be better. And I think this is going to make Booker a better player this year. Sam, did you have the same answer? Because that's the that's the player I came up with as well. It's got to be Devin be Booker. Honest, everyone has the same answer. But, you know, just to throw out another name there, um, <laughs> I want to talk about TJ Warren briefly in, in the sense that I was trying to think of a little bit more of an outside-the-box answer other than Devin Booker because I do obviously believe that he's going to succeed. Uh, I've barely seen any Suns fans talking about TJ uh, and the small role he's played in the preseason. He only played about 15 minutes per game, but he averaged uh, just a hair under 10 points per game comes out to 22.5 points per game per 36 minutes on 62% shooting from the field. And I think it sort of confirms something that Suns fans have talked about for a very long time in the sense that TJ is a perfect sixth man. Uh, If the Suns can find out sort of the right way to utilize him, if he's willing to accept this role, then I think he can really succeed and sort of take another step forward in his career, uh, kind of defining his legacy to be this above-average sixth man rather than this below-average starter that I think uh, a lot of people see him as so it's all with tj it's all about can he actually accept that he's going to play fewer minutes this year if he does i think he can have a fantastic season and maybe get some looks at six man of the year here's the interesting thing about both of the answers that were picked just now they are the players on the team that least need a point guard to succeed which is an interesting thing about this because really when you look at the team from from an outsider's perspective, you, you, you look at guys like Trevor Reese and Ryan Anderson and you say, well, they're, they're in their 30s. These guys have been doing it a long time. They're clearly going to succeed. But the fact is they're not shot creators. That means that they need a shot creator to help create for them. And that means that their likelihood to succeed is a little less if you don't have a starting quality point guard on the team. So I don't think it's any coincidence that we have to choose guys like Devin Booker or TJ Warren as the most likely to succeed here because they other guys need a point guard. Even uh, a guy like DeAndre Ayton needs a guy to get him the ball down underneath in order for him to succeed. Although I think he's up there. I think maybe if yeah. you kind of start going down the list, Ayton maybe the third. I would put I would put Ayton either second or third. I I totally uh, agree with you, Sam, on TJ Warren. 
it does look like he's accepting the off-the-bench role, which is vitally important going into this season. Uh, and it looks like he's doing that just fine. So I'm, I'm not worried about that at all. What I am excited to see, I'm interested to see with TJ is whether he brings anything else to the game besides the scoring. So he's got to have, he's, he has been passing more in the preseason and that's good. I haven't seen much rebounding, but you haven't needed much rebounding with DeAndre Aiden out there. Um, yeah, I would put DeAndre Aiden second on the most likely to succeed. I think that that dude, it doesn't matter what you run, what kind of offense you've got, anything. Right. He, he's going to get his points. He's going to get his rebounds. He's going to block some shots. What I'm really excited about with with Aiden is the stuff on top of that. He actually seems to have really bought into being the playmaker on defense mm-hmm. as far as calling. Uh, calling, He may not be right all the time. He's not going to read all the schemes well. Um, but at least he knows that's his job, and he's and he's he's accepting it, and he's doing it. I'm so sick of year after year after year of Suns coaches saying, "I wish we had better talkers on the floor." And and the only reason T- Tyson Chandler played in the last couple of years is because he was a great talker on the floor. He's certainly not very athletic anymore, and you can tell even more so when he plays uh, behind DeAndre Ayton how how much athleticism he's lost. Um, at least he's a talker, and Ayton's learning on that. So that's good. And then on offense, Aiden knows he's kind of a playmaker on offense, too. He doesn't have to score every time. He can pass the ball out. And as guys right. make more corner threes, that corner three is going to be open all the time with Booker and Aiden on the I just think it's funny that when you when you go into the draft with all these top prospects, it seems like everyone sort of focuses in on one little flaw and sort of amplifies it. With DeAndre Aiden and the Twitter <laughs> blog boys heading into June, it was definitely defense, right? That People were talking about his defensive awareness, his defensive IQ in a negative way to the point where you almost expected him to come in and sort of be watching this big, lumbering Jaleel Okafor type just from preseason. That, oh, I was thinking Marquise Chris. Or Marquise so. Chris or something like that. But that, I mean, <laughs> I've been so impressed with DeAndre Ayton's defense throughout preseason, uh, even mm-hmm. at Summer League as well. It's just not, not really what I expected whatsoever based on what all of these people were talking about. His ability to... Uh, make the defensive play without committing a foul is like completely a new language for the Suns. I mean, it's like, it's like, wow, how can somebody actually put their arms up and not draw the foul? (laughs) That's something by the way that Aaron Jackson Jr. has not figured out yet for all that. No, that was one of, one of, Mm -hmm. one of Jaron Jackson Jr.'s biggest problems in college was, was committing fouls uh, because he's so, uh, he's so aggressive in how he plays. And that's going to be like a, a Shaquille Harrison's, problem uh when he starts playing against the the first lines or throughout the league is he's so aggressive he's going to commit fouls because his arms are so long and it's almost impossible not to hit the guy um deandre eaton is so good at verticality keeping his feet um adjusting to multiple moves by the by the other by the opponent i thought um i know tyler ulis has had his problems getting a shot off against bigs but there was that one sequence where tyler tried at least three or four dipsy do and Mm eaton still didn't didn't uh, lose his his uh, his balance at all. Blocked the shot, grabbed the you know grabbed the loose ball, and started the fast break. And I mean, it's Tyler Ulis, of course, but he's also done that against. Uh, he had a great play um, on the opening night against De'Aaron Fox, where he, he didn't commit the foul, and Fox ended up making the shot. But Fox had to do something incredibly athletic to do it, and they both hit, and and both were stayed vertical, and, and there was no foul called. I think he's just going to be really good on that end. Better than any of us expect. He even had a sequence against Steph Curry where he forced him away from the baseline and caused him to shoot a tough shot, which Steph Curry can make. But 
as far as a big defending Steph Curry, that's about as I good as you can do. I had fun listening to the Golden State announcers on Monday night. I usually don't like road announcers, yeah. uh, but Monday night on NBA TV, it was it was fun because you know they were just having a good time. Uh, their their <laughs> their team has won three of the last four championships, uh, so they're just they're having a good time, and they <laughs> actually made several comments about DeAndre Aiden being a guy who is yeah. is is impressive in the little things that he's doing not just the big counting stats yep we've seen the baby hook we've seen the jump shot now we've seen underneath they were really pointing out every little move that he made and, and his his offensive versatility those those announcers are actually really good i i they really love devin booker yep. too so <laughs> they're always fawning over him let's move on to the less optimistic category here and we'll start with sam we won't force you to start this one dave <laughs> Most likely to fail. Now, I have a feeling we're all going to have the same answer for this one, too. And we don't have to dwell on it, but I think it's fair to talk about uh, what could go wrong in this coming season. Sam, what do you think? Well, I, I could throw out a couple of different answers, but to allude to the one you were just mentioning. Dragon Benders per 36 minutes in the preseason. Mm-hmm. Eight points. Oof. 5.9 rebounds. 3.4 turnovers. 6.4 fouls and a true shooting percentage of 36%. You know, what's really sad about that is is how bad he is in Igor's offense. Like, people actually were optimistic right. about the fact that he this would be an offense that would cater to him because he likes to pass. It's the point I've been making since since the offseason began, since this podcast began. The, the myth of the Dragon Bender playmaking ability. It's just never been there. We keep being sold this idea that he's a good passer, but it's never happened. His assisted turnover ratio is insane. The amount of turnovers he gets for how little he touches the ball is crazy. Big men should not have that level of turnovers, especially ones that don't really have that high of a usage rate. Uh, and, and, and the idea that he could have been good in this offense, we all kind of were hoping for it. I think it's not, it's not like we were hoping for him to fail. We all wanted it to happen, but it just doesn't look, just doesn't look like it's going to happen. <laughs> it just doesn't look like it. Did, I had the same answer, Dave. Did you have the same answer as well? Uh, you guys went. Well, you guys went with the easy one. I think there's a deep bench of of most mm-hmm. likely fails on this. <laughs> uh, so um, no, actually, I'm going to go with one you guys might not have thought of. I think the most likely to fail in this season is Elia Kobo. Mm. That's a good answer. Yeah. Um, it's it's just the game is just a little bit too fast, too big for him right now. He's got right. a lot of talent. Uh, he's not showing any of it uh, except in, in every once in a while spurts, even summer league. I think he's going to have a lost se- – well, a redshirt season, we'll call it, not lost, because he's going to learn a mm-hmm. ton over the next year. Um, the Elia Kobo of year two or three is somebody you should have some expectations for. Elia Kobo of year one, we should have none. And But people do anyway. They, for some reason, think he will have a good, you know, a good impact on the team. I think it's going to be a redshirt year for him. The NBA TV Phoenix Suns season preview for uh, NBA TV included Elia Koba as the starting point guard. <laughs> I was like, what? Why would you put, slide him in that spot? I think it's because he was just kind of a high draft pick as far as the rest of the guys on the team <laughs> are concerned, including an undrafted guy. Think, uh, in second Anthony pick. Melton will have a better season than a Kobo. He looks good. He look good. What we, I think we've been undersold how bad Elia Kobo's defenses it's yeah. it's been really bad he, he doesn't seem to be able to cover anyone of any size and admittedly point guards are good in the nba so you're, you're going against a lot of really 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 good guys but uh he's been he's been pretty bad on that end of the ball and and and, and not much better offensively i think what we've realized is 
None of the guys can pass. Even as good as DeAnthony Melton has been, what does he have, one assist so yeah. far in all yeah. the preseason? I mean, that's not great. No. He looks good, but none of the guys can move the ball. This team, clearly, it's going to look a lot different when Devin Booker's on the floor. I'm sure everyone's tired of saying that, but it's just true. The offense is built for a guy like Booker, and, and with the guard play that we have so far, not just point guard, just the guard play in general that we've seen so far, it needs a guy like I him. think Shaquille Harrison's upside is like the point guard P.J. Tucker. Right. Right. Marcus Smart. Oh, wow. That's, that would be great if he could be a Marcus Smart. But that's the kind of thing, right? You cannot expect the passing. You cannot expect the shooting. You're, he's going he's gonna to play some defense. He's going to possibly rile up the uh, energy level of the team. Uh, he'll be the guy who can guard two or three different positions potentially because he just is so aggressive. He's just got to learn how to not to foul. The thing is about Shaquille Harrison is he's 25. Yeah. So it's hard to know how much he's going to improve from here. It's, it's a it's just not a great situation, <laughs> the guard situation on this team. Every single guy's got a downside, and there's no real there's no real guy that you can look at and say, this guy's a guarantee. All of them are big, giant question marks. But our next category, actually, maybe this will bring up the optimism a little bit. Most likely to improve. <laughs> That's an interesting category because we have a lot of young guys on the team. And so... I just want to start with an initial conversation about a single player here because what we all want is the most likely to improve guy. We want that to be Josh Jackson, yes. right? Isn't that the ideal situation for the team? Do you guys believe that that could be the case? I do. I hope so. No, here's the, here's why I do. <laughs> I think Josh Jackson is a thinker. I think uh, Josh Jackson needs to be instinctive and it takes a while for his thoughts to become instinctive. <clears throat> he's on his third head coach and he's only barely 21 mm-hmm. years old and he's only been in the NBA for 82 regular season games and that's it. And he's on his third head coach, third scheme, third overall. Uh, really what I remember a conversation that Evan Sidery with Brightside had with, uh, with their coach last year, Jay Triano was what, what got through to Jackson for his rookie year was how to build up his counting stats. And that, that, that gave him some, some focus in the game. So uh, mm-hmm. uh, what, Ariza, excuse me, what um, Triano had said Jackson was, <clears throat> you don't need to make your jumpers. You get some offensive rebounds and putbacks. You got a four to six points there. You get, you know, you get some uh, transition points. That's four to six points there. And then all you got to do is make a couple jumpers and that's all right. So you don't have to shoot all the time. It's okay. And you can get your counting stats and then you got to get the, the rebounds and the assists. And he had a really good second half after that. Because he had a, he had a goal, and I think Igor is going to give him goals too. He just needs to internalize them and figure them out. So I do think he's going to be much better in the second half than he is in the first half. Yeah, I agree with that. No, I agree with that. I, I really hope it's Josh um, who's the most likely to improve. I, look, I think preseason scared people. I think summer league really scared people. Um, but I we need to see him play with Devin Booker, and we've been talking about it on the episode already, but. Devin Booker will open up so many avenues for Josh Jackson. When you let Josh be the primary ball handler without good shooters around him, without Devin Booker, without a guy who can set up the offense for him, we've seen that the results are disastrous more often than not. If you take the ball out of his hands, force him into that secondary playmaker role, rein him in a little bit, and and force him to slow the game down, I think the results will be very good. We just have to wait and see what happens. 
There's a play that we broke down on our, our Twitter account, and I've been calling it the pick and both. It's, it's a staggered pick and roll at the top of the key where the big man and ideally a three-point shooter set a screen for the on-ball guard. The guard goes around the two screens, and both players roll, and then the big man sets a down screen for a shooter to pop out to the top of the key to get a potential pass for a wide-open three. That play in preseason was run with Josh Jackson on the ball, DeAndre Ayton and TJ Warren setting the screen, and that eventually led to DeAndre Ayton setting a down screen for TJ Warren to pop out to the top of the key to a wide-open three. So that means that the two players that are (laughs) most likely to shoot a three-point shot on that play are Josh Jackson and TJ Warren. That's why. And that's that why is they were the lowest in the crazy. scoring in the. <laughs> imagine though, imagine that play ran with Devin Booker on the ball, of course, and the two people setting the screen, Ryan Anderson and DeAndre Ayton, with Josh Jackson Jackson in one corner and Trevor Ariza in the other. That play becomes a lot more effective because coming around that screen, Devin Booker is a threat to shoot the three off the dribble. On the roll, DeAndre Ayton might be one of the best role men in the NBA immediately coming into his first season. And then Ryan Anderson popping out to the top of the key is a threat even from 30 feet. So that play is going to be a lot more interesting. And what what it does is it opens up different things. Because if DeAndre Ayton is on the roll, the man that's guarding Trevor Ruiz is likely not going to shade off if, if there's no one in front of DeAndre Ayton. That means that if Josh is in one of the corners... His man is going to shade off on DeAndre Ayton on the roll. And that and we've seen so far that Ayton is capable of showing throwing the short roll pass to another player, maybe at the top of the key or in the corner. If Josh catches that ball in the corner, that is where the offense gets a little interesting, though. What's going to happen? Is he going to shoot that three? Is he going to wait for DeAndre to come set another screen? Because he's going to be wide open a lot on those plays. And this is this is a flaw in our game in our game plan here. It's going to be really interesting to see what Jackson does to improve. I, I have faith. I have faith as well because I think, like like we've said, Devin Booker changes a lot, and we don't know. It could be a Devin Booker Josh Jackson starting backcourt. Is, do you think that's going to happen, Dave? No. Um, I mean, it <clears throat> it would only happen in the case of emergency. Like if the point guards are just so incredibly bad. And they're not making any impact on defense. I think Igor cares about defense, and he cares about a guy being willing to to bring the ball across the across the timeline and then pass it off and then run to the corner. Um, I think I don't I don't see Devin Booker actually starting at point guard unless it's a lost season. I really don't. That's not his that's not his primary ability. You're taking away from his shot making. You're taking away from him gravitationally pulling people away from where the on-ball action sometimes is, as well as when he does have the ball pulling the defense toward him uh, and, and getting open shots for his teammates. That's like secondary. I, I, I've never been a fan of him being the guy who's actually start in the starting lineup. And I've also never been a fan of Josh Jackson being a shooting guard. Um, it really, I think we have the wrong names for positions out there. Um, point guard <laughs> should not be all about scoring points and shooting guard should not just be about shooting. They should be pass guard and make guard. You know what I mean? And, and so Josh <laughs> Jackson might be an okay shooting guard, but he's not a good make guard. 
<laughs> that's very good and also very sad. It it's very sad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, going back to to Josh a little bit, I think uh, uh, I think he will improve throughout the season. And the the key to him improving throughout the season is taking fewer mid range jumpers late in the clock and feeling like he's the guy who has to do the score. There's two guys that can catch the ball late in the clock in this team. Right. Now, I think it's Devin Booker and it's DeAndre Ayton and no one else should be doing it. Those are the two guys that can create for themselves the most easily. And I don't want to see anybody else trying to do that at the end of the shot clock. Who knows? Maybe Jamal Crawford. And if you have two of them, it's it's okay. It's when it was only one. Right. And that one guy just right. turned 20 years old. That's why preseason was was uh, tough to watch. Right. Definitely. Let's Let's move on to the next one. Best new addition, I'll start. It's DeAndre Ayton. It has to be DeAndre Ayton. <laughs> this, let's, just to recap, the Suns have never had a great center, at least in my lifetime. <laughs> the Suns have not had a great center. To see DeAndre Ayton do what he does on the floor has been amazing for people who have watching, guys who have been unable to catch the ball for years and years and years. Aiton is so good around the rim. He moves people out of the way for offensive rebounds. We've had more offensive rebounds and putbacks than I've seen in a long time. He keeps the ball high on a pick and roll, which is nice to see. He can post up. He can face up. Uh, His versatility has been incredible. I'm sure you guys have the same guy, I would imagine. Is DeAndre Ayton the most uh, the best new addition? Well, of course he's got to be the best new addition. Um, the the greatest thing I can say about Ayton, and I know other people do, <clears throat> probably don't want to hear think about it like this, but DeAndre Ayton is going to have games where he's got 24 and 12, and people are going to say it's a bad game. That's the best thing you can right. possibly say about the Yes, it's amazing. Uh, and th- we haven't had a guy like that since Amari Stoudemire on the front line. And Aiton is right. potentially better than Stoudemire all around, uh, but not obviously he has to prove it. Stoudemire was an incredible NBA player. One of the things I, I, I really like uh, from seeing Aiton rolling to the basket is his ability to adjust on the move, and we haven't seen that since Amari. He actually, when a guy uh, drops him, drops himself into charge position. Uh, we've seen Aiden be able to sidestep the guy, be able to adjust his shot from a dunk to a to a roll, finger roll. He's got really good touch around the basket. Uh, no, I think I think Aiden is going to be fun. And yes, you're going to get people complaining about him after a 24 and 12 game, and that's that's the best thing you can say. So yes, he's got to be the best new addition. However, uh, just to be a little bit different, I'm going to say Igor yeah. Kokoshkov uh, because yes. it, it, you finally can see coaching happening out there and we haven't seen much of that since the first year basically of Jeff Hornacek and the problem with Jeff Hornacek is the players started tuning him out and then it became about the talent out there running the scheme the way they wanted to run it after the play got called you know and so that was it was tough to watch everything after Hornacek's first season as far as coaching but Igor is definitely I think the best coach the Suns have had since uh, probably Alvin Gentry. You, you guys got me thinking, if right. we don't consider Amari Stoudemire a natural center, even though he did play center, we consider him a natural power forward. After mm-hmm. Alvin Adams, who is the best, the second best natural center in Phoenix Suns franchise history? Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq. Clearly, One year of clearly Shaq. Jaron Collins. 36, <laughs> that really is. <laughs> <laughs> <You know? laughs> all apologies lopez was Look, good mark west was pretty good uh robin lopez right. was okay marching gortat was pretty good 
you've got a lot of, of okay to pretty good guys. Oliver Miller for a year or two before he ate himself out of right. the NBA was pretty good. Um, but and you'll walk, man, maybe. Uh, uh, the guy we yeah. got instead of Kareem. <laughs> oh, man. If we had to go net rating, I bet it would be Channing Fry that has the best net rating at center, <laughs> even though he's not yeah, a natural center. So he probably doesn't count. because he played with Steve Nash. Yeah, I mean, playing with Steve Nash and being a solid three-point shooter makes a big difference. Look, let me just say that I am really glad to be talking this way about DeAndre Ayton after two years of trying to call uh, Dragon Bender's ceiling Channing Fry. Oh, no, yeah. <laughs> and he won't even reach that. No, you know what? Since I, there's no reason to believe that he will. Shout out yeah. to Trevor Ariza oh, too. Serious shout out to He's Trevor Ariza. We haven't really talked about him yet because we're talking about Dragon Bender again. <laughs> I want to bring up Ryan Anderson. I'm not being serious when I say Ryan Anderson is the best acquisition this offseason because that would be ridiculous. But I, I think it's impossible to overstate just how bad of a player Dragon Bender is, regardless of his potential. He is so far below <laughs> replacement level. That I think even if Ryan Anderson only contributes on the court what like Mirza Toledovic and John Luer did for us a few years ago, that is such a step up over what Draken Bender and Marquise Chris did at the power forward position mm-hmm. for 48 minutes a game last year. And outside of point guard still being a gaping hole, that was the biggest reason the Suns had the worst record in the league. It was they were playing two completely incompetent players full time at that position. Yeah, no, I'm a big fan of, of what Anderson brings, and I don't feel like I'm overstating it in my own head. He is not going to be um, uh, the Ryan Anderson of 24 years old when he played for the Orlando Magic and was really good and got his $20 million. And, and then he played himself into, after his tragedies that happened in his life, played himself into a $20 million a year player. Um, I, I, he's not that guy anymore, I don't think. Uh, but right. he is a Mirza Toledovic, maybe a little bit better than Mirza. And that is huge for a team like the Suns right now. Absolutely. And it makes a big difference for DeAndre Ayton to have a guy that's a, that's a threat, giving him right. space. He's going to pull inside. defenders out of the paint. Just think about this. Devin Booker pulls defenders out of the paint. Brian Anderson pulls defenders out of the paint. Trevor Ariza pulls a defender out of the paint. How much room is DeAndre Ayton going to have down there? It's 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 crazy. Yeah. And, and to, to the point you made about his ability to change his shot, it's been a long time since we've been able to throw the ball to a, a, a guy rolling with a defender on him and be confident. Usually with a guy like Alex Land, Marquise Chris, Dragon Bender, if there's any defender in the paint at all, that's a well, miss. It's not going in. Because they had oven mitts for hands. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Alex Land specifically had oven mitts covered in butter. Apparently... <laughs> Alex Lynn is a three-point a three-point sniper now. <laughs> I don't know if you guys have noticed. Look, he's shooting like sixty percent from three. One good preseason mm-hmm. game. Come on, guys. <laughs> no, I heard the same thing. I heard somebody trying to tell me on Twitter that uh, oh, we gave up a great player in Alex Lynn. I'm like, can we just wait half a season? Well, would you rather have Alex Lynn or Dragon Bender? There's a question. <sighs> you know what? Let me tell you. Let me tell you. I'd rather have Dragon Bender because it's easier to sit him for something. <laughs> no. Dave, Mike, <laughs> no. Mike, do you remember when I said Alex Len could be an all-star this season? I stand, I stand by that opinion. Oh, I said that several episodes ago, maybe facetiously, but it's, yeah. I stand by it. The Eastern Conference is so bad. Name five centers better than Alex Len. I don't no, know they, if I you can. You don't have to name centers. You don't have to do centers, though. Yeah, that's the problem. It's, it's too not, big. They're not, three there's going to be no centers. Littles. Yeah, no, look, Alex Lynn uh, really should not be playing over John Collins. John, he should not be forcing John Collins to 
the uh, the power forward position. I think eventually they're going to figure that out. Um, look, look, Alex Lynn averaged eight and eight for the Suns. I think he's going to average eight and eight for Atlanta. But in the East, it's going to look better than it did in the West. But he's not going to be a better player. Kind of like Markeith Morris, his and Marcus Morris, their their numbers did not change on their Eastern teams. They just looked better in the East than they did in, for a team in the West. Well, because they made the playoffs and they were in the national spotlight, yeah. And they were surrounded by better players, too. It makes they a difference to have better players. Whereas Alex isn't necessarily surrounded by better players, but uh, he's he, he'll, have the same, he'll have the same numbers this year, and some people will think that's great, and others won't, and that's just the way. He's not a great player. Our next category is an interesting one. Biggest storyline, and I think if we asked everyone this question two weeks ago, <laughs> the answer would be a little different than it is now. It's hard not to think, at least for me, it's hard not to think that the biggest storyline going into the season, at least for now, is Robert Sarver and, and what's going to happen. What's going to happen? Are we going to get a GM? Maybe maybe it's announced in a few days that James Jones is our GM and that story dies down, but it's hard to believe that that's going to be the case. Robert Sarver himself said he's in no rush to hire a general manager at this point. So in my opinion, the biggest storyline is likely going to be Robert Sarver and the front office turmoil surrounding this team, which is really unfortunate because there's a lot of hope going into the season. But maybe it's not to you guys. Dave, what do you think? Uh, I think the Suns are who they are right now. And what they have is an interim group in the front office. And I'm pretty certain they're going to stay there all season, just like interim coaches in the past few, past, past few years. So I don't see any incentive for Robert Sarver to make any changes. If he actually names somebody, he has to give them a new contract. He's not going to want to do that. Right. He's going to, he's, he's already spending all the money. He, he fired those guys. He's still paying their salaries. So uh, he, he's just going to want to keep it status quo. He just wanted a fewer voices in the room. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting when I talked to Amin this week uh, was I mean, Al Hassan this week was that he really thinks Trevor Buckstein is the key to this whole thing, and he thinks Trevor is good. But we're going to talk about that a little bit later on, on uh, on the GM number. But uh, I, I think what they have is okay as long as Sarver lets them do their job, and to their benefit, they don't really have to do anything for the rest of this year. They, right. they can just say that the that the roster is set. I mean, he kind of put them in a position where they're not really under the gun. If they don't, if they if he doesn't force them to do a point guard trade, they really don't have to do anything else until uh, you know, until the trade deadline comes around and we see how many wins the Suns have. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I mean, outside of making a couple of roster cuts in the next few days, uh, there's nothing for the front office to do right now. There are a couple log jams. Maybe I'm still concerned personally about the wing log jam. I just look at the number of available minutes right now and I don't see how Mikhail Bridges could possibly play more than 10 or 15 minutes per game even less potentially unless there are injuries or a trade and that that concerns me a little bit as a guy who's coming in as the 10th overall pick and is supposedly one of the um main pieces of this young core going forward so there are still moves that should be made um but they don't have to be made we could stay with this current group to sam's point he brought up mikhail bridges uh that's the guy who uh besides josh jackson that I think will uh, improve in fans' eyes every month throughout the season because he's going to get a bigger and bigger role. He's not a type A personality, Mikhail. So he's going to allow the offense come, to come to him until the coach figures out where he's going to get his shots, and then he's going get, to get those shots. So I think throughout the season, Mikhail Bridges is going to have a larger role. Um, going back to the biggest storyline to me, 
But the biggest storyline is how the Suns adjust to Igor's offense. Mm-hmm. Uh, they he wants them to pass within two seconds. Uh, every anytime somebody touches the ball, either pass or take the shot, a good shot within two seconds. So they have to make quick decisions, and they've never been very good at that. Um, so how they adjust to that offense, how they get better throughout the season, I think will be very interesting to me as far as the storyline. Um, they were the lowest scoring offensive team in the preseason, but they had assists on 63% of their field goals, which is, well, that's a lot better than the 49% we've been watching for the last, literally last five years. Um, through three coaches, we've seen a 40, 49%, almost worse than the league assist ratio. Uh, so it's it's not coach driven. It's not roster driven because there's been at least three different rosters in that time frame as well. Um, it's just finally you've got a scheme where it generates assists, even though the point guards are not getting the assists. Somebody is getting the assists, and that's that's what Igor is saying. He's saying it doesn't have to be the point guard getting all the assists. I just want plays to end up in assists and good shots. That's all that matters. So we'll see how it goes. We'll see how the how they develop. But I think every month they're going to get better in in executing his passing offense. I have a feeling when we talk about biggest storyline, I have a feeling you're going to be tweeting out some articles with point guard in the headline for the next few weeks, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, that okay. So the biggest headline <laughs> is how the point guard does. Yes, <laughs> and who it who it is who who eventually it ends up being. Uh, you know, it's an interesting conversation, of course. And, and, and I, I told Sam uh, last week, I think, on our last podcast, I'd like to cut out every time we've said the word point guard in the last few weeks and see if it's a, a, a podcast in itself that's two hours long. <laughs> it's just that conversation <laughs> never ends. It just never ends. Well, okay. Let me, you know, we're on this. We're on this. So, and maybe this goes into your next, but I'd like to ask you guys which point guard plays the most minutes in the month of November? Oh my God, that's a very difficult question. Because uh, <laughs> I was hoping, initially, I thought it would be Shaq Harrison. Well, first off, we don't know who's going to end up on the roster. Well, no, let's assume it's the same four guys. Let's assume okay. all four guys make it somehow. They do some kind of moves around and that all four guys are on the roster just like they are in preseason. Let's make that assumption. If you put Devin Booker on the team and he's playing... I think the best fit next to him has to be Shaquille Harrison just for defensive purposes. The problem is, when you talk about who plays the most minutes, he has to stay out of foul trouble. Right. And, you know, there's a, there's a good chance that he doesn't end up playing a lot because he's got that Marquise Chrisitis where you can't stay out of foul trouble <laughs> to save your life, to save your minutes, if you will. So if I had to guess... It would be Shaquille Harrison, but I don't feel confident in that in any way. I, I kind of hope at this point after watching that it's DeAnthony Melton, the guy who's picked the lowest. Well, I, I still do think it's Shaquille Harrison as well, although I have to be honest, I was pleasantly surprised by Isaiah Cannon's performance in the last few preseason games. Um, he looks, look, none of them look great. <laughs> he's not. He's still not a great playmaker, um, but he is polished in, in some senses uh, offensively, and, and he's another candidate there that could play some minutes. It's just he doesn't have a guaranteed contract. So, you know, if we're making that assumption that all of them make it, Cannon is a contender, at least early on in the season. Um, I'm still skeptical that he'll make the roster in the first place. Who do you think, Dave? Well, so I'm going to go with the assumption that they all make the team, first of all. Of course, if Cannon is cut in the next few days, uh, that changes things. But I actually think for the month of November... Uh, if all four guys are still on the roster, I think that it's Isaiah Cannon who gets the most minutes in November. Right. Um, he's he's just the most 
calm looking guy. He kind of looks like the most like he knows what he's doing out there. Um, he can make 35% of his threes. So if he does um, let hand the ball off and run to the corner, it's okay because he will be able to take those shots. So I do see that as he's probably the guy who will end up playing the most minutes in November if he's on the team. Um, and then if you ask me about March, well, that changes. That's probably more like a DeAnthony Melton or an Elia Kobo. If they've really tanked, it's Elia Kobo. But uh, I, I really think that um, – by the end of the season, it'll migrate, hopefully, in, in the best world to a DeAnthony Melton because he proved it and he beat those guys out. I completely agree with that. And I think this does lead nicely into the next question. Thanks, Dave. Uh, best rookie. Now, I didn't put this caveat on there when I sent it out, but we got to take Aiton out of this. Clearly, it's Aiton. And this is where the conversation becomes interesting because if you take Aiton out, we still have four guys. We'll take George King out of the conversation. We'll, we'll say there's three guys. There's DeAnthony Melton, Elliot Kobo, and Mikhail Bridges. None of those three guys have sh- shown a lot yet. I'll be honest. I haven't been very, very impressed with any of them. Now, of course, Mikhail Bridges is the highest pick, so it would be the easiest one to choose in this scenario. But based on performance so far, it seems like DeAnthony Melton. And I think that's partially because he seems to be the best at creating his own shot so far uh, that's that's just a little hard to believe I mean he was picked very late in the draft is it possible that he ends up being the best rookie besides DeAndre Ayton what do you think Dave uh, I think it's possible that any one of those three guys becomes the best rookie besides DeAndre Ayton um, so anything's anything's possible because they all have some talent um, here's the thing I, I really think the best rookie by the end of the season by well, if we're talking about this in March so or April. The best rookie by that time besides DeAndre Aiden is going to be Mikel Bridges. He really is the most polished as far as knowing who he is, knowing what his role is. And he plays defense and he gets deflections and he gets blocks. And, and so by that time, Igor is going to be very dependent on him in the lineup. So I really think it's going to be Mikel Bridges. Yeah, agreed. Mikhail Bridges is incredibly hard worker. If you look at his um, his history at Villanova, how much he improved from year to year, and he really hasn't gotten a fair shake yet, just in the sense that he only played a game and a half uh, of real time in the preseason. I think Mikhail Bridges might look a lot like Devin Booker did in the first couple of months of Devin Booker's rookie season, where you'd see him come on for maybe 10 minutes a game, shot like 60% from three-point range, really just stayed in his role as a catch-and-shoot guy, and then got some more reps later on in the season where... Uh, they gave the ball to him a little bit more, and you could really start to see what he was capable of doing. And, and that's when we realized that, okay, Devin Booker can be more than just a catch-and-shoot guy. I'm not saying that that's Mikhail Bridges' game. I don't think Mikhail Bridges is going to be a primary ball handler like that. Um, but to Dave's point, I think he's going to start out very basic catch-and-shoot role, uh, and then maybe we'll see him get some more playing time uh, in the second half of the season, especially if a trade clears up some minutes. Yeah, nobody expected Devin Booker to be the primary ball handler that he is today as well. So it is interesting because I, I do feel like if we made a trade for a point guard today, for example, later today, which is likely now that we're recording a podcast, <laughs> uh, if we made a trade for a point guard, I'd feel a lot more confident in Mikhail Bridges as my answer there. Because I feel like of all of the rookies, he needs a competent point guard the most. I mean, Mikhail Bridges' biggest downside offensively was his inability to create his own shot. He He's the kind of guy that stands off the ball and, and is able to catch and shoot easily. So I, I kind of I tend to agree it's Mikhail Bridges, but I wouldn't be surprised if it was DeAnthony Melton. I, I, that just wouldn't surprise me. He, he seems... I'm just... I'm, I've been surprised with how he's looked so far. He seems to be ready 
to be in the NBA. Of course, that's not saying much compared to the other point guards we have on the roster. Espo uh, had a really good. That's like saying you're the best looking guy in, in robotics club. You know. <laughs> Yikes! Robotics club. <laughs> What is that? <laughs> no, it's just never like, heard of a robotics you know, club. I, 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 maybe, maybe I'm just—it's new to me, I guess. But I thought that was great because it's completely like okay, it means nothing. You know that Melton right. is the best looking among, you know, among yeah. the uh, point guards doesn't mean anything, right? <laughs> um, I'm interested in your answer to the last question we got here, Dave, because you were alluding to it before. And this is most likely to be GM. Now, it's easy to say James Jones, but it sounds like you have another idea in mind, Dave. What, what do you think? Well, I guess I was looking at it from the functional point of view. It, who, uh, most likely to be GM, like named as the GM, is probably James Jones by next year just because of uh, the way the Suns have done it in the past. But I really think the most likely to be the acting GM that gets the work done that, that, the other, that actually – really makes the team happen over the next few years is Trevor Buckstein. And the reason I say that is, is that Buckstein's been around the, the team for eight, nine years. He's really good at the salary cap, uh, knowing all the ins and outs of what works on deals and all that. But he also knows basketball. He's a student of the game. He's a big fan. And by the way, he told me one time, he's a huge fan of Bright Side of the Sun too. So shout out, Trevor. <laughs> Love I you. know. Stay, stay, stay reading the I know side. nothing about Trevor Buckstein, so... He could be fantastic for all I know, Dave. I just know that when you say he's been around the team for the last eight or nine years, as if the last eight or nine years weren't the most <laughs> disastrous period in team history by a long shot, it's, it's not the most glowing recommendation. But he's never had the biggest role. He's always been third or fourth on the on the pecking order. And if he is the salary cap guy, to that point, not a lot of bad contracts over that time. There's a lot of bad contracts in the NBA but really, just I mean, Brandon Knight is that is that the worst one over over that whole time? We we haven't really I, overpaid anyone. I remember Buckstein being the one that Lon Babby gave credit to for the Eric Bledsoe trade, oh. in Ryan McDonough's first summer. That was a great trade. But you know, yes, it's it's again uh, being the best looking guy in robotics club with Trevor <laughs> Buckstein as well. Um, so you, you don't know what that, but, um, again, uh, hearkening back to the conversation I had with the mean, um, uh, he has known Buckstein a lot of years as well. And, uh, he's very impressed with his behind the scenes ability to get things, you know, to figure things out and, and not only make salary cap recommendations or trade, you know, exception recommendations and stuff, but actually, uh, knowing how it would impact the team and knowing how, how it could impact the team. He just hasn't had a big enough voice. So maybe this is his chance uh, to have that big voice. Dave, you're around the team a lot more than us. Dave Griffin, how how likely do you think that is? Completely unlikely. It's never, ever going to happen. I thought, I thought so. And the reason I say, no, the reason I say uh, that it's never going to happen is, is that Dave Griffin knows the value of being able to make your own decisions. And he knows that Robert Sarver doesn't let you do that. So unless it's a massive overpay, like if Sarver calls up Dave Griffin and says, hey, look, man, I really need you. I've really messed up in the past. I want to give you $10 million a year to run my team, and I will never walk into your office and tell you what to do or give you a call and tell you what to do. Griffin might take that, 
especially if it's all up front. Like if it's a that signing. That is not happening. <laughs> that is one hundred percent not happening. Right, but if it's a signing bonus of ten million off the, you know, right off the bat, um, you know, prepaid or the entire contract prepaid, then then Griffin might take it. Right, uh, right. But having, uh, but without all those stipulations in place, there's no way. Even though he is a, he loves the Suns. David Griffin talked to him a couple of times. He absolutely loves the franchise. As you guys know, he worked with the franchise for 18 years before he left in 2010 because he was offered a pay cut. Um, it's just it's <laughs> unbelievable how that worked out. But he's just a good guy, and he knows that he is not going to be able to succeed because he wants to be able to have the final say. And it just so happens that, uh, you know, uh, uh, former the two guys who ran the front office through 2010 have the four the last four NBA championships for other franchises hmm. now. Good point. Wow. wow. Between Steve Kerr and <laughs> no Dave one's Griffin. clamoring for Steve Kerr to return to his GM role at the same time, but that is a good point. He wouldn't have to trade for a center this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Sam, you have any other thoughts on uh, general manager before uh, I surprise Dave with some more questions? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, not not really. Let's just go right into those questions. All right, Dave, I want to throw some rapid fire questions at you before we end this interview uh, for you to answer as quickly as possible. Are you game? <laughs> sure, of course. <laughs> All right, here we go. Who will be the Phoenix Suns 2019-2020 starting point guard? Oh, man. 2019-2020 starting point guard? Uh, Kyrie Irving. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right, next question. Dragon Bender option, yes or no? No. All right. Here we go. What is more embarrassing for you, accidentally calling DeAndre Ayton Joel or coming on this podcast? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was actually really funny. Uh, I'll take the Joel part. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Who was a bad player? That you wanted the team to keep because he was a good interview. <laughs> well, he wasn't necessarily a bad player, but I was devastated when Martin Gortat left. He was uh, such a good interview. I just loved him. The quote machine. All right, last question. What is your secret Reddit username? I don't actually have one. I don't have <laughs> any burner accounts. I am not. I'm not creative enough to have a burner account. Him does. I don't the dirty even have a second Twitter hand. I, I used to have multiple Twitter handles, one for like my personal so I could talk about other sports and stuff, and then the NBA one, which is why I have NBA at the end of my Twitter handle. It was more for me than for anybody else, so I knew which one I was using at the time. Then I stopped even using my personal one. I don't, I don't have I don't have any other any other social. I don't even have Instagram. I'm, I'm kind of old and lame. Twitter is a lot, especially when you have a lot of followers. There's a lot to manage in, in just a single Twitter account, so I don't blame you in there. But Dave King, managing editor of Bright Side of the Sun, I'm looking forward to seeing all your coverage of the team this year. This is a very exciting time to be a Phoenix Suns fan. Hopefully it doesn't end in another disaster. At the very least, we'd like to see the young guys develop. According to James Jones, that is the measure of success after all, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. They've got, to, they've got to show progress. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, this has been really fun. Hopefully we could do this again sometime. Hey, anytime, guys. So also listen to me on the solar panel. That's a weekly pod as well uh, with Tim Chomkins and Greg Esposito. And this week we'll have not only Amin Al-Hassan, but also Tim Cato from The Athletic, who used to be with Mavs Moneyball, talking about the season opener against Dallas. 
All right. That is awesome. I'm looking forward to listening to that episode and seeing all your coverage. Thank you again for joining us, Sam. You got anything else to say? Nope. That's all. Uh, Thank you, Dave, as always, for coming on. Thank you. Coming up next, Richard Stamen, a.k.a. Mavs Draft on Twitter. And we're going to talk about the first game, Phoenix versus Dallas, Aiton versus Doncic. What will happen? Who knows? Welcome on to the podcast, Richard Stamen. Richard Stamen is also known as at Mavs Draft on Twitter and user RPS215. Is that correct on Reddit? That is correct. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much. Richard's team is the Dallas Mavericks. He, he covers the Dallas Mavericks for at Mavs Draft and he's done other things covering the team. But Richard, are you secretly a Suns fan? <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I'm a big Alec Peters fan, so by association, yes. <laughs> My, the magic... You're the first person to ever say that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> Look, I love keeping up with y'all. Like, I've I've looked, I've watched a lot of Suns games since the Mavs and Suns were like neck and neck for the final playoff seed. What was it? Five years ago? Four years ago? Uh, when it was the Mavs, the Suns, and the Grizzlies. And ever since then, I found the Suns just to be so intriguing. And uh, I browse the Sun subreddit a little bit too much for my liking. And I, uh, I've listened to this podcast. Me I was too. just looking for a Suns podcast that wasn't one that I'd already heard. And I saw this. And then all of a sudden I found out it was y'all two who I've seen plenty on Reddit, you know. And I was absolutely amazed. So y'all got me hooked. And especially with the sham wow. You know, all of that was just way too good not to keep listening. <laughs> well, it's kind of funny. It. It's, yeah, I appreciate all of that. And it's just really funny because... We've known each other in in a weird way for like five or six years, all of us, without actually ever knowing each other. <laughs> right? Yeah. Because if yeah spend, I've actually still never seen Sam in person. If you spend, if you spend uh, enough time on Reddit and you spend enough time on RNBA in particular, or any sports sub, you just come to like associate fan different fan bases with like two or three particular users. And I think it's yeah. fair to say that you're one of you're just the Dallas guy. In my yeah. mind, from seeing your username <laughs> all over the place, um, I appreciate you're also, that. <laughs> you're also a moderator on RNBA, so anyone who's listening to this, who's a redditor, because I know we do have a lot of redditor <laughs> listeners. If you ever have a problem on Reddit uh, or on RNBA, <laughs> blame this guy first because you're looking at one of the Nazi mods right now. I'm ready How for every you? bit of heat that I'm about to take for this one. <laughs> It's part of being on Reddit, to be honest. Oh, yeah. It would be no fun if people weren't constantly mad at each other. (laughs) (laughs) So, first game of the season for both of our teams and your two secret teams, uh, the Dallas Mavericks and the Phoenix Suns, is on Wednesday. And this is a big for a lot of reasons. One, it's half of the Phoenix Suns national televised games (laughs) (laughs) in that we only have two. And uh, this is one of them. Uh, But also, it's in my opinion, the two best players coming out of the draft playing against each other in the first game of the season. Uh, DeAndre Ayton and Luka Doncic, of course, the obvious uh, one versus three, I guess. Uh, The Kings, you can't really predict what they're going to do, of course. Um, First of all, how are you feeling about the Dallas Mavericks after preseason? I'm excited. Like The Mavs haven't had an optimistic outlook really in probably 
four or five years since they traded back for Tyson Chandler and then they ruined it by trading for Rajon Rondo, there hasn't been a ton of optimism. It's been enough of like, hey, we're halfway decent. And then we get swept in the first round. You know, it's not, it's not fun losing in five games to the Rockets back to back years. I think it, it's not fun doing that. So there's kind of a down period for the last three years. And then the Mavs drafted Dennis Smith. There's been a lot of hype going forward. This, like last season, there was a ton of hype around him. People still didn't want to watch the games. They just wanted to see him dunk. And now this year, they've got Luca, who is arguably the top guy. Him and Aiden were 1A and 1B on my board. And it's a, it's a ton of excitement. And now the Mavs got DeAndre Jordan after hating him for three years. And uh, there's a ton to look forward to. And, and the Mavs, it's always been like the last two years. All that's in my head is just tank, tank, tank. But now we're ready to move on. It's a new chapter, and I'm excited for it. The Mavs haven't I, haven't... I haven't been able to argue on Reddit saying, like, hey, the Mavs are 10 wins better than what you think because of Rick Carlisle yes. in four years. So I miss that a lot. <laughs> here's, here's the really interesting thing about the Mavs that I think a lot of Suns fans listening to this podcast don't know that maybe you can speak on, Richard. Last year, you guys finished with 24 wins. It's only three wins more than the Suns, who are one of the worst teams in the league, technically, except for the fact that actually... You finished 24th in offensive rating, 17th in defensive rating, which ain't too bad compared to the Suns, who finished dead last in both categories. So if you look at the expected win-loss for the Mavs last year, they should have been 33-49, and 49, not mm-hmm. which is so much better than 24-58. and 58. And then you start to look at the DeAndre Jordan acquisition. You look at Luka Doncic, and you know maybe you can sort of start justifying to yourself that there's a path here for this team to get to 40 wins or or maybe even potentially in the best case scenario you know get to an over 500 record is that sort of what some of the Mavs fan base coming from your end is that what they're thinking right now or what would you say are the expectations going into the season for Dallas the realistic expectation is probably 37 to 42 wins is what i've seen my expectation is still 43 wins to 45. If they get really lucky and Carlisle pulls his magic, the Mavs are looking at being at one of those last teams on the on the bubble for the playoffs. Um, there's just the Mavs won 33 games in 2016-17 when they drafted Dennis Smith. So, and it's crazy that was the ninth worst record with 33 wins. But now, like that's way in the rearview mirror. Like they're not, we're not looking to get any top prospect. The Mavs traded their top, I think it was top three, top five protected pick. For Luka Doncic, essentially, there's no real, uh, there's no real looking forward to the draft, which kind of hurts me <laughs> indirectly, but in a good way. I'd, I'd much rather be rooting for wins and saying like, "Hey, if this gets better next game, the Mavs are going to win," rather than, "Oh, we need to stop playing JJ Barea because he's getting too many wins." You know, it's just not a fun way to look at the season. So I think the expectation is definitely with, especially adding DeAndre Jordan. That's a big, big piece. With adding him, the Mavs are really, really looking to win, make the playoffs. And I know Mark Cuban's goal is definitely to make the playoffs. And getting a win in a series would be a huge, huge success in this Mavs season. Yeah, I I agree with that. Now, you covered the draft. Going into the draft, did you have any idea that the Mavs could end up with Luka Doncic? Was that even a thought that had crossed your mind previous to, to the draft? Well, it's it's funny because for about three months after the season, no, three months, basically March to the end, the, really after the All-Star break to the draft, the whole time there were a lot of people saying, what if we get Luka? What if we get Luka? And uh, after until Alec Peters lit up the Mavericks, I was like, that's a pipe dream. And then you get the top three and it's kind of just 
who knows, Marvin Bagley could get a second. It was kind of like that. And then the Hawks jumped the Mavs in, um, in the lottery, unfortunately. So Alec Peters' efforts were all for naught. But <laughs> now the, the draft, no. Until really the night of, I didn't think Doncic was really going to be there. I thought it was still a bunch of people just pipe dreaming the whole time. I didn't think they were going to get him. I thought they were really about to be stuck with, not stuck, but take Bamba or Jaron Jackson Jr. Or really, if they wanted to reach, take Wendell Carter, uh, who I didn't think was worth tanking for, but he was a nice piece. I was really high on him. Um, I would have been unhappy with Bamba. I didn't think he would have been a great fit here. But Jaron Jackson was number four on my board. Doncic was number two. Technically, I had Aiden as one. Uh, Bagley was number three. So it wasn't really, there was almost, it was a win-win situation. If the Mavs somehow couldn't pull off a trade to get Doncic, I still had a lot of hope that they would get Jaron Jackson. But when it hit, sorry, but when it hit that Luka Doncic was about to be traded, I saw the tweets saying like Luka Doncic to the Mavericks is is going in full effect and the Mavs are about to trade to the Hawks. That was when it kind of hit me, and I was just stunned. Like, I don't think it's even kicked in that the Hawks really traded that to the Mavericks. <laughs> no offense, Hawks listeners. Uh, but but it still kicked, hasn't kicked in that. <laughs> still yeah, we don't have any in. of those. It still hasn't kicked in the Mavericks really have Luka Doncic. You know, before we get to the game, this draft is just such an interesting draft. Sam and I were actually just talking about it. Uh, there's just so many. There's going to be so many good players from this draft. It's going to be maybe a draft that's talked about for a long time. Maybe even specifically because of the trade for the Mavs uh, getting uh, Luka Doncic. But uh, where did you have Marvin Bagley uh, going in the draft? Was was he third? I for a long time I'd said that he would be the third pick. He was my third ranked player, but I could see a team because of. The EuroLeague is uh, still going on during the draft process. The whole Marvin Bagley had a one-on-zero um, environment to really showcase everything he's about. Luka Doncic didn't do any pre-draft workouts, I don't think. So that, I figured, would really help Bagley. So I thought he would go second. And then the Kings picked, uh, or got second pick, and I was like, all right, that's a dumb deal. And uh, and and then, yeah, once Bagley was taken, I knew it was, it was there. The Mavs wouldn't take pass up Doncic. But... I know a lot of people, there was something that we had to call our fan base about was when the Suns hired Igor, that they would definitely, people thought they would definitely be taking Doncic, which meant the Mavs would get one of Bagley and Aiden, potentially, which would have been an amazing situation. So no matter how this was sliced, the Mavs had a great chance to make an impact in the draft. I think um, a lot of people are naturally talking about Doncic versus Aiden. The other natural comparison that's really interesting from both a Suns and Mavs perspective, is uh, Dennis Smith Jr. and Josh Jackson. I think there's a lot of similarity between those two guys in terms of the types of rookie campaigns they had, where both fan bases seem to have similar levels of hype about these two players, uh, except you know the, the advanced stats aren't really there for those guys yet. They had promising second halves to their rookie campaigns, but the advanced stats on a whole are still pretty poor. Now, the difference, of course, is that Josh Jackson has had a terrible preseason uh, Dennis Smith Jr. has actually had a really good preseason playing 26 minutes per game, 15 and a half points. He's even shooting 39% from deep. Richard, uh, what have you liked out of Dennis Smith Jr. this preseason? And uh, how critical is he to the future success of the Mavs in, in terms of your young core? Well, I've loved that he can shoot off the dribble and he's even spot up shooting. He had a little hitch in a shot that seems to have gone away where his, I don't know how to describe it over a podcast, but his hand kind of dips to the left and then shoots down. 
and it makes for just an awkward follow-through half the time. But he's kind of eliminated that, which really helps his pull-up shooting. And if you can have the most one of the most explosive point guards with the quickest dribble or first step in the NBA, be able to take you off the dribble for a pull-up jumper, he's going places. So that's big. And having him with uh, Luka Doncic, being able to do that as a primary or secondary playmaker at any time, that's huge. He and Doncic are going to be able to fit, especially if Smith is able to shoot off ball, which is why he's been able to have such a good preseason in terms of scoring. That's going to be huge for both of them. Like The, the Doncic-Smith pairing is super risky, but it could also be incredible. Like It, it really, really um, hinges on Dennis Smith just being able to develop a reliable jump shot. Now, we didn't get to see a lot of Luka Doncic really until preseason. He's been playing a lot. Now, I imagine he looks really good, first of all. So congratulations. He, he looks like he's going to be. I don't think <laughs> any of that you. fear of him being too slow. Yeah. Any of that fear of him being too slow for the NBA, that that should be all but gone. Maybe he'll have some athletic problems, possibly, but it just doesn't seem to hinder him because he's so creative and crafty. Um, you know, Sam and I have been big fans of Luka Doncic. I uh, Wait a very, very, very strongly. Sam has been a big I very, fan very of Luka strong. Doncic. I don't know if Mike has been a big fan of Luka Doncic. <laughs> oh, I, I very strongly criticized the trade from, from Atlanta. Uh, I thought it was ridiculous. Uh, Luka Doncic is the easy, easy pick there, so... I, I, I like both, um, Aiton and Doncic as far as they go. But in my opinion, Luka Doncic going into game one, starting against Ryan Anderson is a really, really good matchup for him <laughs> as far as looking good in that first game. Whereas for DeAndre Aiton starting against uh, DeAndre Jordan is maybe one of the worst matchups you can ask for as a guy who could potentially uh, neutralize his rebounding and is a good, relatively good defender slash rim protector there. Um, how do you feel about that first game from Luka Doncic's pers- perspective? It's going to be interesting without Barnes. That really changes the whole perplexion of the Mavs because he's a, he's been a big part of the team but no matter how bad they've been the last two years. So not having Barnes for that first game is really going to make it interesting because I have no idea what the matchups are going to be like on switches and everything um, without Barnes. It's, it's really weird because who's going to start in his place? Because normally it would be Dirk, but Dirk's out two weeks. Barnes is not going to be able to play the first game. So do they go small? Do they go kind of big with Powell at power forward instead and then Doncic at small forward? That's going to be huge, obviously. But I think with DeAndre, he's going to just be anchoring the paint in the way or excuse me, DeAndre Jordan is going to be anchoring the paint. And I uh, <laughs> haven't been used to hearing another DeAndre. But Aiden can still, you know, he can stretch the floor. He's a reliable mid-range shooter, or at least was in college. And uh, if he can get to the line a lot, that's where he's going to be Jordan. Because he got to the line at an incredibly high rate at college. And if he continues to do that, that's how he's going to beat the Mavs. Actually, Richard, since you mention it right now, if you were a betting man... Uh, what's the <laughs> what's the opening day starting lineup? Is Powell going to be in there at power forward? Do they maybe start Finney Smith? You know, he's had a good preseason. Who's, oh, who's going to be that fifth man. guy? I'd be unhappy if it's Finney Smith just because while he, supposedly the analytics say his practice three-point shooting is like third best on the team, it's practice. So I don't trust that. I'd rather have Powell, who for a lot of last year started, and he's a reliable another pick-and-roll guy. Uh, so maybe he could add that but i don't know how much he overlaps with deandre i feel like he's a shooter in that situation if deandre is already out there uh excuse me deandre jordan i really got to start clarifying that <laughs> uh, but so i feel uncomfortable saying that powell would start 
the bold prediction I have is that they bring uh, JJ as starter and then have a three guard lineup basically like they did all of the last three seasons oh, wow where it's jj Barea, dennis smith luka Doncic, some or i guess wesley matthews at the three luka Doncic at the four and then deandre jordan that's a really bold prediction but the safe bet is definitely to say powell that's really interesting i i do remember them playing some of those three guard lineups uh, last it was year, their but... best lineup too <laughs> Anyway. Right. I mean, it's it's hard to stop offensively. Um, you know, I, I could see why it would be a pretty good lineup. Now, just looking at the game as a whole, you know, coming into it, how confident from from the Dallas fan perspective, how confident do you think you are in uh, Dallas winning this game or, or being competitive right right off the gate? They look pretty good so far. So how do you feel about it? It depends on Devin Booker. If Devin Booker's not playing, I'm very, very confident. Right. But if Devin Booker's playing he's let up the Mavs plenty when the Mavs have been trying. And now the Suns have a lot better players than those years when he did it, when Tyler Ewis was his backup. Um, so, or not his backup, excuse me, his point guard that was playing beside him. And so if Booker's playing, I'm 50, 50, like you never know what can happen on opening night. Weird things happen like the Sixers and their tankier beating the Cavs. Mm-hmm. Weird things happen. So I would, I'm confident, but I don't want to get cocky and say like, Oh, this is a guaranteed win. You know, but I'm, I'm pretty confident it'll at least be close one way or another. I'm not going to say it's going to be a blowout, anything like that. Yeah, well, and for the record, we don't, first of all, we don't know if Booker's playing, but whether he plays or not, we really don't know what the starting lineup is on our end either. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I was going to ask you, Sam, if you were a betting man, <laughs> what, who do you think's starting for the uh, Suns? I have no idea. I, I, well, I think it's probably still, if Booker plays, I think it's going to be Shaq Harrison, Booker, uh, Josh Ariza. Jackson. Oh, if Booker plays, right? Excuse me. Yeah, no, I think Jackson comes off the bench if Booker <laughs> plays. Yeah, it's going to be... All right, let me read wow. that. It's going to be Shaq Harrison, That's Booker, Ariza, Anderson, Aiton. And right. I don't know. I mean, even Isaiah Cannon maybe has an argument at starting point guard over um, right. Shaq Harrison, but I, we still don't know if his contract is going to be guaranteed at this point, and they need to make roster cuts soon. And then, of course, the good idea that I think everyone kind of maybe wants them to do is Devin Booker at point guard. And then you slide in Josh Jackson at the two. You've got Ariza at the three, Anderson at the four, and Aiton at the five. But I just don't know if um, Igor is going to be willing to do that from the get-go. I mean, you heard earlier in our episode, Dave does uh, does not think that that's going to be the way he really goes this season. So we'll see. That would be a bad matchup for that three-guard lineup for the Mavericks if that were to happen, just because of the size at 6'6", six, 6'7". Six, six, yeah. yeah, and I mean, Jackson, <laughs> Jackson and Ariza can definitely give you know some defensive intensity in, in terms of guarding that three-guard lineup. I think for the Suns, it's maybe the best option, but we'll see. I, I just want to remind you, Sam, uh, we did an over-under podcast, and, and we had the over-under for Devin Booker starting at point guard at one at zero games, or, or 0.5, I believe, and you just had to say over to, to start one. And imagine if that bet was over in game one of the season. <laughs> yeah, I think I took the under on that one, too. You did. I think so you did. I think I was the no, only one that took the over. That's the best part about uh, running a podcast is we just say things and no one holds us accountable. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah. It's, I mean, it's not like it's online forever or anything. <laughs> well, one interesting thing that I didn't hear y'all say is anything about TJ Warren. And even though oh, he yeah. averaged, what was it, almost 20 points a game last year with almost no real three-point shot, that, that's really <laughs> interesting to me. I think it was 19.6 is what he had. Well, so, so there's no chance he starts. No, I don't think so. I mean, look, if no, you look at our wing rotation no. right now, they didn't bring in Trevor Reza. They didn't use all of their cap space on Trevor Reza to sit him on the bench for 10 or 15 minutes per game. That's not purely a veteran presence move. 
Uh, it's not like a Jared Dudley signing. They actually want him to play because they know he can contribute to winning basketball. So one of Josh Jackson, Trevor Ariza, Mikhail Bridges, and TJ Warren just has to get the short ends of the stick because, I don't know, we've got a lot of wings. A lot of wings on this team. That's a crazy good wing rotation. I'm just saying, for the future, that is really good. Yeah, I agree. I, it's The problem is the three-point shooting. Uh, there's only really <laughs> yeah. potentially two guys, and Ariza's only on a one-year contract. So really, it's Mikhail Jackson and uh, Warren for the future, and and only one of those guys has a reliable jumper. That's or true. Projects to have a reliable jumper. That's that's the only fear, and that's what makes it difficult to start TJ Warren. Ultimately, if he was if he was a solid three point shooter, even he could slide all the way up to that two guard spot potentially. If 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 we had to have a lineup uh, with Devin Booker at point guard, but it's just not. He's more likely to end up playing point guard or I'm sorry power forward in the NBA because of his lack of shooting so right. it, it's it's a difficult situation but also he seems to be the perfect sixth man I, I know Suns fans you're probably even tired of hearing it at this point but he just seems like that guy <laughs> who could potentially be a sixth man and, and able to to run the offense exclusively coming off the bench now what are your expectations for the Mavericks this season do you have have you even thought about a total win total uh, for the Mavericks? I'd say the 43 that I threw out earlier is my baseline, which is which means I'm in for baseline. huge disappointment. For like, yeah. uh, <laughs> no, 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 no. For, that would be like for happiness. Like if I, they win 43 games okay. or more, I'm happy. If it's 41, eh, I mean, it doesn't really hurt that they don't have their pick if it's not in the top five. So either they get super lucky, like historically lucky, and get in the top three, or they kind of just had a mild year where they're probably going to re-sign DeAndre Jordan for three years again. And I, I just, I'd just i like for this team to be in the playoffs. Rick Carlisle has done it in the past with way worse rosters, but not as talented of a Western Conference, in my opinion, except for the one year that it was Mavs, Suns, and Grizzlies when they were all flirting with 50 wins. Yeah, we don't talk about but, that. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> but Accidentally no, uh, good. I remember hearing that on the reviewing McDonough's seasons, but mm-hmm. I I just 43 wins is a really good number for me, and I'm happy with that. Like that means they're really vying for the playoffs, and like that they didn't have too much injuries go on. That Barnes really doesn't miss much time, and then also Dirk has to play the last game. Those are the two <laughs> big things. Yeah, that sounds. He's a hero. Nice. I mean, he's a hero in Dallas. Like absolutely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We were. I've loved Dirk. No I've, I've always loved Dirk. I was. I was on for that. For that 2011 run. That was. I was all in. Yeah, everyone was all in for that. That was the easiest choice ever. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was everyone. <laughs> right. It was everyone on earth against Miami in that series. And and it's pretty amazing how Dirk has built this legacy where just no one no one hates him. But hey, I guess that's kind of like Steve Nash too. Being <laughs> being that we. Being that we have representatives of both the Phoenix Suns and the Dallas Mavericks on the podcast right now, can we just agree to end the Aiton versus Doncic discussion uh, for at least a few years? No. <laughs> Dude, I'm down. Because it, every time there's a highlight of DeAndre Aiton, somebody has to talk about Doncic, and I imagine it's vice versa. I don't really know that that's the case, but I imagine it's vice versa. I know it's always it falls on the the team with the higher pick maybe a little bit more but it's it's already old I, I don't need i really want to enjoy both players and i don't want the internet turning me against luka doncic because uh it, it's it's happened a little bit <laughs> with with every single time Aiton does something good uh we have to hear about doncic so let's just agree as as fan bases that's over we're, we're not doing that anymore dude i agree and let me tell you like 
I'm going to get crap for this from Mavs fans, but the Luka Doncic fans, like the over-the-top fans, are horrible. They <laughs> they are the worst. Like, I love Luka. Don't get me I think wrong. that's not even Mavs but, fans, right? It seems like it's uh, almost fans of other, just NBA fans in general that are the over-the-top yes. ones. I haven't noticed it as well, much look, uh, Mavs Here's what I'm actually like. curious about. Have you had, because when we had Goran Dragic on the team, love Goran Dragic, but there was a certain sect of Slovenian fans specifically that were all yes. about Goran Dragic and not necessarily, they would call yes. themselves Suns fans, but they weren't necessarily really Suns fans. They were give the ball to Goran Dragic fans. Fuck out of the way, Eric Bledsoe. Like that's, that's. Those are Mavs Yeah, fans. so I'm wondering, Those are Mavs I'm wondering if Luca if Luca's kind of getting the same sort of thing right now from a certain sect of people. Yes, and that is exactly it. They're not, they're not rooting for the Mavs. They just want Luca to touch the ball and they'll complain plenty when Luca doesn't take 30 shots a game. Anyway, takes 28. So, <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. You hit it on the head. So thank you for addressing that. <laughs> All right. We did it. We brokered peace. We've done it. All right. Richard Stamen at Mavs Draft on Twitter. Make sure to follow him on Twitter. Mavs fans, Suns fans join in too. He, you know, he's got some insight on the Suns as well. Uh, and RPS215 on Reddit. Is that correct? I'm afraid to get that wrong. Yeah, you no, you're good. Harass me on there. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. This has been really fun. I look forward to game one. I will tweet at you during the game at some point. (laughs) I'll do the same. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I'm only willing to say one thing about game one right now. If we lose by 50, I'm deleting my Reddit account. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'll take the other end of that bet as well. (laughs) Okay, fantastic. So now something is on the line for both parties. And you actually, you're a moderator for a lot of communities. So it would be kind of like a big deal if that happened to you, Richard. But for me, I can't take another yeah. 50 point loss. <laughs> <laughs> Big thanks to all the guests on this podcast, or the two guests on this podcast, Dave King and Richard Stamen. Uh, that was a, this is a really fun podcast. The season is about to start. Sam and I just wanted to end this podcast with just saying thank you. It's been really fun doing this podcast so far in the off season. This off season was nuts, and we're looking forward to covering the team throughout the season. Yeah, guys, this podcast has existed for about four months now, which is pretty crazy to think about, given that uh, for those of you who have been here since the start, you've listened to about 20 hours of Mike and I talking about Phoenix Suns basketball when there's been no actual basketball being played. So uh, a sincere thank you to all of you guys who have stuck with us so far. Um, Feel free to continue telling your friends about the Timeline podcast if they're getting into the mix of Suns basketball again now that the season is starting. And we are really excited to get going and to keep this thing going throughout the year. Definitely. Our commitment won't change. At least one episode per week, possibly two during the season. We'll see how things go. And if anything crazy happens, don't don't be afraid. We'll, we'll jump on right away and we'll record something as soon as we can. Uh, and as we know, this is the sun. Something crazy will happen. So we'll see you this season and we're looking forward to experiencing it with you. Thanks again to our guests. Thanks to Calvin Marcus who uh, did the music at the beginning of this podcast and has been doing the music for the transitions for the last few episodes. He's super awesome. Check him out at calvinmarcus.com. He's really good, and I'll put his name in the notes for this episode. So thanks again, guys. Looking forward to experiencing the season with you. Find something you love to do. Do it every day. Be obsessed. Balance can come later. Use your imagination. Put pen to paper. Declare your intentions. Set small goals. Knock them off. Set more goals. Gain momentum. Build confidence. Grow a deep belief. Outwork people. Play the long game. 
You don't have to be the chosen one. The secret is to build the resolve and spirit to enjoy the plateaus. The times when it doesn't feel like you're improving and you question why you're doing this. If you're patient, the plateaus will become springboards. Finally, never stop striving, reaching for your goals until you get there. But the truth is, even when you get there, even when you get here, standing on this stage, it's the striving, fighting, pushing yourself to the limit every day that you'll miss and you'll long for. You'll never be more alive than when you give something everything you have. Hey, Tim Tompkins here from the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. So you just got done listening to the Timeline Podcast. Mike and Sam do a great job. I listen to every single episode. And if you're like me, you want even more Sun's content. So since you've wrapped up this episode of the Timeline, head on over and subscribe to the Sun Solar Panel Podcast. Chances are we have a new episode that you will enjoy. The Sun Solar Panel Podcast, available on iTunes, Google Play, and basically anywhere you listen to podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.